The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. Good morning, good morning. Welcome. My name is John, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, there. Um, Welcome. Come on in. Get a seat. And um, we'll get started. This is about an hour and a half long. Uh, My partner today is Helen, and we're going to be speaking on uh, a a plan of eating. And um, I'd like to open us up with the serenity prayer. So let's go ahead and pray together. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Okay, before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may order outside in the foyer. This workshop will have two speakers. We'll each talk for about 20 minutes or whenever we wrap up. We're going to be kind of self-timed today since it is an hour and a half in here. Um, If you need to stand up and stretch or get water in the back or use the restroom, feel free to do that. And uh, after we're both done sharing, Helen will share first, then I'll share. And then we're going to open it up to questions regarding a plan of eating. And uh, then at the end, if there's time left, we'll have time for open sharing as well. Okay? Sound good? All right. So without further ado, let's uh, welcome our first speaker, Helen. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And thank you, Helen, for asking me to come today and share in this workshop. I'm really grateful to be here. I do have some pictures. I didn't know. I just thought they'd bring them. Um, uh Uh-oh. Okay, so I've been um, in the program, I've been abstaining for 20 years uh, through the grace of God. I'm maintaining anywhere between like 95, 100 pound weight loss. So I'm very, like I say, grateful to God for that. And, um, you know, when uh, <clears throat> she gave me the topic of a plan of eating, I started thinking back to when I was new this last time because. I first came to Overeaters Anonymous like in 1979 or 80. I can't remember which, but then I left for a long time. And then I came back, um, you know, and dabbled in 1995. And um, between 1995 and 1997, I was thinking, you know, what did I think? What was I looking for in a food planner? How did that How did it all work for me? And I can remember for about two years, sitting in the rooms, 
thinking any minute, and this is the God's truth, you know, my hand, uh, God, I expected to hear how I was going to lose weight and not have to stop eating. I really thought I was going to hear it any minute. I'm not kidding. Seriously thought I was going to hear it in these rooms any minute. And I was reading the doctor's opinion, and I thought, yeah, I think that qualifies as being in full flight from reality, that kind of thinking, you know. But I did. Um, But, yeah, so I um, came back to OA in 1995 and on and off, and I, um, uh, you know, wasn't ready, but I kept coming back, thank God, and I think that's the only thing I ever did right was that I didn't leave, and I kept coming back. I kept coming back. And finally, I saw, I watched one woman in the meetings, and she was the only one I saw losing weight. And when I walked into these rooms, um, I was 100 pounds overweight, and my life was completely unmanageable, and... um, and um, completely, I was completely miserable. And so I walked into these rooms, and my goal was I wanted to lose weight. I was tired of being obese. I had, um, you know, um, all the, started getting all the physical problems that happened because I was about 50 in, in my, or in my mid 40s, and, you know, all that stuff starts catching up with you then. And I started with my feet hurt before they touched the floor in the morning. I had low back problems. My, I had high blood pressure. All that stuff was starting. And I didn't want to be obese. I didn't know about all the other stuff I was going to get in this program. You know, all the gifts, the, my higher power, everything, a plan of living, all that. Um, I just wanted to lose weight, so I was looking around, and I saw only one person losing the weight in this meeting, and it took me about two years to finally ask her, um, you know, if she'd sponsor me, and her first question to me was, what's your food plan? Well, of course, I could tell her what my food plan was, but that's why I was 100 pounds overweight. (laughs) So, so I said, I don't know. What do you eat? That was a miracle. Because that I would ask somebody, what do they eat? And she told me what she ate. Um, so it was just God surrendering, surrendering me at this moment, you know. And she told me what she ate, and I ate what she ate. And I called her with my food, and... Um, so this is about a plan of eating. So what I ate was um, I followed the how food plan, which to me was very simple and straightforward. Um, and um, so I would call her with my food every day. And um, so for people that don't know what that is, it's like protein for breakfast and fruit and a grain and then a grain for lunch and protein and vegetables, and then for dinner, the same thing. And that's what I would eat. And um, also sometimes I'd have a starch instead of a grain. 
And so that was my food plan. Um, for the first seven years, I called her with my food every day. Um, and um, and I lost that 100 pounds, thank God. And all those um, physical, you know, medical problems that came about. Uh, as a result of being 100 pounds overweight because, you know, our bodies aren't built to carry that kind of weight around. It's a deadly disease. This disease is a deadly disease, and it will kill us, just like drugs and alcohol or any other addiction. It's deadly, as I think, you know, we find out more and more um, of everything that obesity causes. And I was just starting with the more minor um, problems from obesity, but you know, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, all those things. So, um, so I'm, I've just been really grateful. You know, I've been able to live without that and um, relatively as a healthy person. Of course, I've been sick this last week, but other than that, <laughs> but a cold, you know. But anyway, so um, I'm just really grateful for that. So. My food plan has changed over the years, you know. I um, I have weighed and measured. I have not weighed and measured. Um, when I first got abstinent, I lived on Diet Coke. Lived on it. But, I'm, but you know what? It helped me get abstinent. It really did. So I'm good with the fact that I was living on that Diet Coke for about... I'll say about the first six years. And then I um, started doing yoga. So little by little, of course, you know, I started looking at trying to be more healthy. So now I haven't had a um, soda of any kind in 12 years. And that's another miracle, you know. So things change, you know, over the years. I've been a vegetarian over the years. And um, currently, I I do eat meat. You know what it is? I don't even really like meat very much. Um, And so I do eat meat sometimes. Um, Not that often, but I eat meat now. I don't consider myself a vegetarian because of that, but um, I prefer not to anyway. Um, I don't eat um, sugar because um, I'm a full-on sugar addict, and... One, like they say, I'm sure you've heard many times, one is not enough for me. Um, This is just, you know what, I'm just sharing my experience, strength and hope with you, and what works for me. And what works for me is that I can't do that, because I don't want just one. I want, you know, I'm looking for, uh, you know, my, my niece's two kids came and stayed with me a couple weeks ago. And my niece has an organic food company. So they went to a food show, and those kids went around, and they got bags of cookies, you know, but it's all organic, right? Full. I mean, and my niece goes, we can't put that in our suitcase. I mean, it was so much stuff. I can talk about food here, right? I hope since it's the plan of eating. And, um, and so... I never saw so many, well, I have, but not in a long time, so many cookies. And so we went to dinner, and then the, I told the kids, oh, well, you know, when we get home, you can have some cookies. So we go home, 
They each get their thing of cookies, and they each ate one. And then they each wanted an apple. And I was so amazed. I told my niece, those kids will never be compulsive overeaters. Because I would have, at that age, I would have been, I would have eaten all those cookies in all those bags and been looking for more, you know, because that's the kind of compulsive eater I am. I can't stop. I have that allergy of the body that triggers the obsession of the mind. And that's what I have with food. Um, And um, it was always my solution to everything in life was the food. You know, once I put that food in my mouth, then I could relax. That was my solution, you know. And, um, and so, you know, from my earliest memory, that's what I remember. Kindergarten, being obsessed with that treat that the, a different mother would bring every day, you know, like graham crackers or whatever the heck they brought. And, um, and so, yeah, so I'm just, uh, uh, and who knows why that was at five years old. I don't know why I'm a compulsive overeater. It was just my way of living my life, of functioning in the world, of trying to be okay in the world because I was just not okay. I was not okay, even as a child. You know, I'd compare myself. I was um, just not okay. So, um, and all I remember about my childhood was the obsession with the sugar and fear. And that was it. Driven by that fear, I needed something, you know, and the food worked for me for uh, most of my life. <clears throat> anyway, so, yeah, so my food has changed. Um, today I have a, um, a sponsor, and I text my food every day, and I realized today I forgot to text my food. That's the first time I've forgotten to text my food to my sponsor to since I've been working with the sponsor. And um, anyway, so I text him my food every day, and I answer three questions, which are, the first one is, what's going right? The second one is, what the plan is for the day? And then the third one is, what's keeping me from peace? And that has helped me so much, That especially that... What is keeping me from peace? Because I'll go out throughout the day and not feel at peace and not even think about why I'm not at peace. You know, what is keeping me from that peace? But this, it, I love it. Anyway, and so my sponsor is part of a group called um, a Sober Eating, <clears throat> and they're in the Valley, and I love that group, those people. Um and so um, they really help you, too, you know, if you need um, a food plan. You know, it's good to work with your sponsor on your food plan. Well, at least for me it was anyway. Like I said, my idea of what my food plan was going to be, I'm sure I still wouldn't be abstinent because I'd be trying to fit in all that stuff that I can't eat. I can't have just one of. Um, and this is, like I said, just me. Um, and so I'm just, uh, uh, I'm grateful, like I say, that God just surrendered me to ask somebody else what they ate. 
So, um, but they do. They, uh, I've been in their workshop, and they really help people come up with their, you know, their abstinent food plan. And so it's great. Anyway, if you haven't heard of it. I think they have also spoken at these, um, at the convention, I think last year, the year before, and they're great. Anyway, so, um, so that's what I do. And my food plan um, is very similar to what it was at the beginning, um, which is that I um, don't eat sugar still, um, and I eat, like, like an example is uh, for breakfast, usually I have yogurt, a banana, and oatmeal, and I mix it all together, and that's my breakfast. Then I have, because I get up so early, that I have my breakfast very early, and I don't get to eat lunch until noon. So I usually have a fruit mid-morning, and then I have my lunch, which is usually protein, vegetables, sometimes a grain, which is a lot of times brown rice. Once in a while, I do eat bread, rarely. Um, I never keep it in my house. You know, there are certain things I don't keep in my house. And... um, um, but not very often do I eat that. And then for dinner, same thing, protein, vegetables, and an optional grain or a small or a starch, you know, like a small yam if I, uh, but that's optional. I don't do that all the time. And, you know, some days I cook, commit my food and then I think, oh, I don't want to eat that. Like last night, I was so tired when I got home. I had committed a salad and cheese as my protein, all that, and then I thought, I'm too tired, I just want to have a little yogurt and go to bed, and then I thought, no, you committed, what you committed, so just eat it, and I ate it, and it was all good, anyway, so, um, but I do change my food sometimes, you know, if I'm going going out, and I didn't know I was going out, things like that, but um, anyway, so that is my food plan today. And um, let's see, when I sponsor people, I don't tell them they have to have the same food plan as me, um, but they have to have a food plan because I've tried sponsoring people before who didn't want to have a, you know, uh, definitive food plan. It was made me crazy, and it, I saw it making them crazy, and it just didn't work for me anyway. But, you know, like I say, this is my story. Um, so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really just, um, so grateful for OA. It really has changed my life. Everything I've learned that works in my life, you know, works as a result of this program. And then I don't have to be shoving food down my throat, you know, and like I say, I see people at work all the time and, I don't know if anybody else has had this experience where you s- tell somebody who's on some a diet, like a real extreme diet, about OA and they don't want to ha- hear. It's like, it's like you didn't even say anything, you know? So it's a shame because it is, like I say, it's a deadly disease. It's an epidemic in this country. People are dying from this every day. And people don't want to do it. And I totally get it. 
I totally get it because before I got here and got abstinent, I didn't want it either. I can remember it because the first time I came to OA was in around 1979 or 80, thinking, I'm not going to those meetings forever. You, I, I don't want to be sitting in those meetings with those people forever. You know, I can remember thinking that, like, you know, and, um, and, um, and you know what? If they had had those, um, like, some of the options that they have today, you know, medical and other things, I would have done that because to me, even a life-threatening surgery would have been the easier, softer way to me. I wouldn't have to do all the stuff that we have to do in this program, you know? And that would have been the easier, softer way. So I'm so grateful today when I hear about all those things um, because I know I would have done all those things because I did do things that, like I did that fen-fen, which, you know, was killing people and, um, you know, anything like that. Like the easier, softer way. I wouldn't have to put down the food. I wouldn't have to stop eating sugar and I wouldn't have you know I wouldn't have to work the steps and I wouldn't have to do all those things that we have to do you know you know do a inventory make amends you know are you kidding email text my food every day what go sit in meetings with those people what you know so um yeah so I'm just like I say very grateful and um and I guess I'll let John, speak now. <laughs> Is there an ask it basket going around? Yeah, yeah there is. Great. Thank you, Helen. Well, I'm going to invite everybody to stand up for a 12-second stretch break. <laughs> Okay, gang. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, you know, I have a chair I'm not going to be using. Somebody can sit in that. You're in perfect shape. There's some place where people can oh, that sit. One. Okay. Uh, if we can move it back there. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. 
seats up here if anybody wants to sit down. I'm going to bring this chair over okay, here. Okay, for an extra person or for you? No, for an extra person. Okay. Yeah. So move that. I got it. Okay. I got it. Thank you, Aggie. Anybody that's a chair. That that one's mine. Oh. <laughs> okay, gang. Here we go. And all I asked for was a 12-second stretch break. <laughs> That's, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, but we moved the furniture. You did a good job. My name is John, and I'm a compulsive overeater and a sugar addict. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me to speak with you today. It's an honor to be here, and I'm very, very grateful for what OA has done for me. Um, I grew up in a home that could be described as, you, you've probably never heard of this, but it's called a dysfunctional home. Um, <laughs> It was uh, a broken, abusive, alcoholic home life, and my mother was an alcoholic, and uh, we had a lot of sugar around the house. I learned at an early age that sugar was the solution for just about everything, and if I was doing very well uh, in my life, we celebrated with sugar, and if I wasn't doing so well, we commiserated with sugar, but either which way, sugar was always the answer. And that didn't really cause me too many problems. Um, until I got a little bit older. I was fairly uh, at, a, at a decent weight uh, through my 20s, but when I hit age 30, I started just eating more sugar, and that triggered me to want more food uh, in general. And my weight started going up, and it kept going up, up, up. And I never really tried diets because I knew that I needed a lifestyle change. I just didn't know what that was. And I felt very confused about you know, whether I should eat parsley sprigs and lemon wedges or whether I should you know, go on just a straight grapefruit diet or whatnot. Um, but I thought that working out would be a good idea. And so I hired a personal trainer to help me at a particular point when things were getting bad. And when I say getting bad, what I mean by that is, um, and by the way, I'm, I'm currently maintaining a 60-plus pound weight loss over the last uh, two and a half years. I've been abstinent for three and a half years. And at my high weight uh, back in 2000 and, well, uh, pr- right around 2009, 2010, things were pretty uh, rough for me in terms of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and I was on medication for both of those. I had tachycardia, so I had to wear a heart monitor um, 24-7 for two weeks while cardiologists were looking at, you know, what went on with that. Um, I had a lipoma surgery. I had a knee surgery. My back was going out. I was consulting with a neurosurgeon about back surgery. And all of these things were happening to me. And, uh, you know, I just kept gaining more weight. So I thought, well, I'll hire a trainer. I hired a a 26-year-old triathlete. uh, And uh, she was very committed. She had a runner, biker, and swimmer tattooed on her lower back. And below that, there was a drop of blood, a drop of sweat, and a drop of tears tattooed into her skin. And she said, I am going to destroy you. Every morning at 6 a.m. at Gold's Gym in Honolulu, you're going to come in, and I'm going to work out with you for an hour. And if you don't get physically sick in your mouth, I haven't done my job. So I am going to destroy you, and you're going to pay me, and you're going to be very glad because you're going to be laying out on the floor. And indeed, she did destroy me. Her husband was a drill sergeant in the... uh, uh, Marine Corps or something. So anyway, uh, and she wanted to go do that, but she, she picked on me because she didn't get into the Marines. So 
Um, she affectionately called me the golden whale, and she said, we're going to get the blubber off the golden whale. And do you know that we worked out five days a week for a year and a half? I paid her $15,000, and I lost a grand total of six pounds. Because I, after the workouts, of course, I was going to get a Costco pizza or you know whatever else. And so I kept eating and eating. I didn't know anything about nutrition, and I was confused about that. Thank God I found my way into these rooms uh, almost four years ago now. It's next month will make four years uh, since I came into my very first meeting. And um, I, got a, I put my toe in the water, you know, a little bit from July until September. And on September 6th of 2013, I accepted a sponsor who had come up to me and he said, hey, I can sponsor you. And I, I thought about it for a couple of weeks prior to that. And then he came up again and I said, okay, let's go ahead and do that. And he said, the first thing I need to ask you are two important questions. Number one, are you willing to go to any lengths in your fight against your own deadly disease of compulsive overeating? And number two, are you willing to, to do whatever, um, whatever it takes? So go to any lengths and do whatever it takes. He was looking for my desperation. I like to say ours is a program of, of good results. That's main, uh, achieving and maintaining a healthy body weight. The good results are driven by right actions with food and food behaviors. Right actions with food and food behaviors are driven by willingness. And willingness is driven by nothing other than utter desperation. (laughs) What my sponsor likes to call healthy fear. I imagine some of you drove to uh, this location and you probably wore your seatbelt. Why did you wear your seatbelt? Because you were afraid of what might happen if you didn't wear your seatbelt. In the same way, that's why I follow my plan of eating today, because I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't do it. Um, and the, and the, what, what might happen if I don't do it? You know, I was looking, and this is a, a little um, thing I'll just read to you, because I was curious when I came into program, what does medical science say is, are the consequences of compulsive overeating leading to obesity? And this is what gives me the healthy uh, fear or that sense of desperation. And by the way, I don't like to be desperate in any aspect of my life except where my recovery is concerned because when I get away from desperation, I lose my willingness. When I lose that, I don't do the right actions. When I don't do that, I don't get the good results. So according to medical science, the long-term consequence of compulsive overeating leading to obesity is an early death. This is brought on by high cholesterol, high triglycerides, high blood sugar, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, heart disease, stroke, heart attack, heart failure, cancer, sleep apnea, gallbladder disease, pancreatic problems, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Obesity causes premature aging, increased surgical risks, pregnancy complications, joint, tendon, and back problems, social stigma, low self-esteem, anger, depression, anxiety, mood swings, sexual dysfunction, social isolation, discrimination, relationship problems, gout, skin conditions, and distorted body image. So when the detrimental effects of obesity are properly understood, the serious need for a solution becomes obvious. Everyone understands that having an allergy to peanuts or seafood can be deadly, but many don't recognize the serious nature of overeating leading to obesity. It's just as deadly, but devoid of an immediate anaphylactic reaction, the effects are far less dramatic. And because compulsive overeating anesthetizes us against rational thinking and authentic feeling, overeaters themselves may not acknowledge the serious nature of their condition until it's too late. 
The results of undereating, anorexia, purging, and bulimia are just as dire, also leading to an early grave. So these are critical days that can advance my life if I take action and make decisions with alacrity and eagerness. But sometimes I don't pursue what's in my own best interest with the kind of vigor that produces abundant joy. And one of those types of things that my sponsor wanted me to do when I first started after answering yes to the two important questions he asked me, he said, okay then, if you're really willing, what I need you to do next is go home and go into your refrigerator and your freezer and your pantry and your bedroom and your office and your car and your briefcase, (laughs) anywhere you have food, hide food, keep food, and I want you to get rid of all offending foods and you can give them away to a food bank or wherever you like or put them in the trash or give them to your neighbor and then I want you to go on a shopping spree and I want you to buy these foods that I'm going to tell you, he said. And he he also said, "Um, you drive a Toyota Camry, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, did you ever try to put uh, Drano in your Camry? I said, no. How about lemonade or rat poison? No, I don't put those things in my car. Why not? Because it's a vehicle. Vehicles run on gasoline and oil and transmission fluid and wiper fluid and other things that I might put into it. That's appropriate for a car. And he said, well, what are you? I said, well, I'm a human. What do humans run on? Humans run on five things. Lean proteins, fresh vegetables, low-sugar fruits, healthy uh, whole grains, and healthy fats, including seeds and nuts, is what he told me. So he said, I want you to go out and shop for those items. And I had weighed my body many, many times, thinking almost magically, if I only weighed myself enough, I might lose weight. It had never... (laughs) It had never dawned on me to weigh the food that I put in my body. So he said, I'd like you to buy a food scale. And you're going to begin weighing and measuring things. And he called it the drama-free plan. And I said, why is it the drama-free plan, Roger? He said, well, you you want to stay drama-free. And I'm going to load you up with so much food, you're not going to be physically hungry. You may be spiritually hungry for sugar or other things. You may be... Um, emotionally hungry for these things, but physically you're going to be uh, satiated. And, you know, what would happen if I went out right now and ate a whole Costco pizza, which I can do? Well, probably in about two or three hours, I'd be hungry again. Why is that? Because a Costco pizza, or and I'm not picking on Costco, but what, whatever, you know, pizza is, is a nutrient-deficient food for my body. And a broccoli crown or a piece of chicken or fish or whatever, that's a a nutrient-rich or a nutrient-dense food. So ingesting fewer nutrient-dense foods gives my body what it needs compared to filling myself up with lots and lots of nutrient-deficient foods. And I also discovered um, that our standard American diet, you think of the acronym for the standard American diet, right? It's SAD. And of the 600,000 items available in most grocery stores today, over 80% of them have added sugar, hidden under 257 different names on the nutritional labels. And in the 1700s, the average American was eating 7.5 pounds of sugar per year. Today, the average American eats 150 pounds of sugar per year and 200 pounds of white flour. But I was above average. (laughs) So I I I could do better than that. And sugar's, sugar's um, okay, right? I have to have sugar or I will die. 
In fact, my brain and my central nervous system use twice as much sugar as the rest of my body. A sugar molecule, whether it comes from uh, an organic coconut dried juice of some sort or whether it comes from a Snickers bar, my body recognizes at a molecular level the sugar molecule the same. It's sucrose and it has two parts to it, right? There's glucose and fructose. So my body breaks it apart. The glucose can be immediately absorbed and used by my body for energy, which is a good thing. The fructose, on the other hand, can only be absorbed or metabolized by my liver. So if I have an organic apple and I have a handful of nuts with it or a piece of cheese or whatnot, um, now I have fat, fiber, and the sugar. That gives me sustained energy until lunchtime or until dinner time or whatever it is. But if I take that same beautiful organic Fuji apple and I juice it and I drink the juice, I might as well be having a Coke because all that sugar gives my liver a sugar rush and the liver gets overloaded with the fructose, which it can't metabolize. And so it asks the pancreas to kick in and help out. So my pancreas says, I know what I'll do. I'll store that extra energy on John's body in the form of fat for a famine. Now, I'm going to be 53 this year, and there's never been a famine <laughs> in my life. But I have been ready for one. <laughs> Believe me, I was very, I'm a professional. You can't be you know, too careful these days. So, um, so you know, I started doing what Roger said, and I started weighing and measuring my food. And what I started with was one tablespoon of healthy fat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's what I still eat today. Four grams of uh, healthy protein, or, uh, you know, ounces, sorry, not grams. Okay. Yeah, four pounds, right. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and this is the thing. If you tell me that four ounces of lean protein fits in the palm of my hand, as a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety, I'm going to stack that thing up to the ceiling and tell you there's my four ounces. So my best friend in this program has been my food scale. It never lies to me. It always treats me nice. And uh, it has helped me, and I, I weigh my food just... And, and, it, and it works... It, it, the sword cuts both ways. People think, oh, that's so restrictive. You're weighing, you're only getting this amount. But the food scale works the other way, too. It not only helps me not to overeat, it helps me not to undereat. Because there are times I don't want to eat 16 ounces of vegetables. I just, and I'll, if I'm eyeballing it, I'm not going to serve myself what I need. And I might find myself hungry later, triggered later, or whatnot. So again, well, I started on 22 ounces of, of vegetables at lunch and 22 ounces, well, 22 to 24 at lunch and 22 to 24 at dinner. Roger wasn't kidding. It's the drama-free plant. I was not hungry because I'm eating protein three times a day, four ounces, fat three times a day at one, ta one uh, tablespoon, and grains two ounces in the morning and four ounces at lunch and dinner, like, you know, brown rice or quinoa or whatnot. And... Uh, he said, we can put you on something more restrictive if you need it. I can put you on oatmeal, chicken, chicken if you want. Or we can go to, you know, Howard Sheet, which he was familiar with. And those are wonderful plans, too. And they will work for me very, very well. But he said, I'd like to put you on the most liberal plan possible. If you can't handle it, we'll tighten it up. But let's see if you can do this. Because on this plan, you should be able to go to just about any restaurant other than, you know, Pappy Parker's Fried Chicken or Krispy Kreme Donuts, and you should be able to order something abstinent. You should be able to go to a family party and hang out with folks and eat abstinently or be, you know, out on a business trip with colleagues and not have to freak out, you know. You'll, you'll be able to find something to eat. 
So I said, well, I'd like to do that. So yeah, the, the breaking of the sugar addiction was really important to me. I know that um, in the last few years, there's been a lot more information about it, but um, a, a study done at University of California at San Francisco on laboratory rats got them addicted to cocaine, and then the researchers offered the rats cocaine-laced water. These are cocaine-addicted rats offered cocaine-laced water or sugar water. And 94% of the time, the rats chose the sugar water over the cocaine water because it lit up the pleasure centers in their brain better than the cocaine did. So I've heard six times more addictive than cocaine. I've heard eight times more addictive. Who knows? Whatever it is, sugar's a tough one for us to break. And um, it, it does, in high doses, becomes a liver toxin. We need it on the one hand to live. We have to have some sugar, but not too much. So um, and there's, there's certainly a lot of it out there. So um, it took me about, I, I was planning on three weeks to break my sugar addiction. It only took about a week, to be honest with you, a week to a week and a half of being off of sugar before I felt that that was broken. And then my sponsor asked me, he said, now I want you to eat sugar. And I said, Roger, what are you talking about? I just got off of this stuff. He said, no, you need to practice. I want you to, to be, use rigorous self-honesty, introduce a little bit of sugar back in, not recreational sugar, not, a, not you know, a candy bar or anything like that. But he said, you know, I want you to have a little bit and see what your threshold is. And for me, I figured out, and everybody's different, but I figured for myself, it's eight grams. So that's two teaspoons of sugar. If I have Eight grams or more on an empty stomach of sugar, it's going to trigger me to want more sugar specifically and more food in general. And if I stay under that or if I have protein in my system or other things, but everybody, you know, as I say, everybody's um, a, little bit, a little bit different on that. So, um, yeah, that was, that was helpful. And, you know, on nutritional labels today, we can pick up any item that's in the grocery store and it'll tell us how much protein in grams and what the recommended daily allowance is. And it'll tell us the sodium, how many grams, and what the recommended daily allowance is. It's a percentage. You do that with sugar and it'll tell you how many grams of sugar are in, say, you know, some sort of soft drink or whatnot. But when it goes over to recommended daily allowance, there's nothing there, is there? Why is it blank? Because the sugar lobby in Washington is very powerful, and they don't want any limits on the amount of sugar that they can put into things. We know in the 1970s, fat was the devil, right? So they took fat out of food, and the food ended up tasting like cardboard. So they introduced sugar and sodium to make it tastier. The trajectory, and of course we know that obesity is at epidemic proportions in the U.S. today, but that trajectory of obesity perfectly mimics the amount of sugar that, that Americans are intaking and, and we're exporting our uh, standard American diet around the world so people in other countries are suffering as well from too much sugar um, and it becomes a problem. So there is one institution, the American Heart Association, that came out with guidelines stating that the average American female needs to consume no more than six teaspoons of sugar per day or 24 grams and for men Average American men is nine teaspoons per day or 36 grams of sugar. So, you know, one Gatorade could blow my whole thing, right, for the, for the day on sugar. Um, and, and so next year or the year after, you'll see a change in nutritional labels. The, the law's already been changed. They're going to be putting a recommendation or RDA for, for sugar, recommended daily allowance. But it's actually a little higher than what it should be, even higher than what the um, American Heart Association says it should be. So um, those are some interesting um, statistics and stuff. I just wanted to learn about all that for myself because it helps me to know that there's some science behind what I'm doing and 
just to try to wrap my head around what, what my problem is. Of course, um, I'm focusing a lot on the food right now, and there's, this is a very, it's a spiritual program, and I needed emotional help as well, because I don't always feel like following my plan of eating and doing what my sponsor tells me to do, right? Anybody relate to that? So, and I'm an emotional eater, which means I eat in order to elicit good emotions, and I eat at bad emotions to keep them suppressed. So I came up with this fundamental construct, which is this. I don't always feel like following my plan of eating. But then again, my feelings don't always give me good information either. So in order to be the type of abstinent person I want to be, in most instances, I need to act in a manner contrary to my own feelings. And that's a good start, but it's not enough because I'm always going to get resistance. I can mark it down. My resistance will always be to right behavior. Number one, I won't feel like it. Number two, I won't believe I can change. And number three, I won't believe you when you tell me I can change. <laughs> so I'm always going to have that, that resistance that leads me back. And so just guarding against that is useful and helpful to me. Um, and, and, and knowing about that. And then being the type of person that is more spiritually driven than just emotion driven. And um, coming from, the, as I say, the dysfunctional home I grew up in, you know, feelings were king and all that. So, um, and, and, and if they're dramatic feelings, that's even better, right? So um, being in OA is giving me an opportunity to do many things that are meaningful to me and purposeful for my life. Um, I don't know where I came from before I was born. I don't know where I'm going with scientific proof when I die. I don't even know what the meaning of life is. But there are some meanings that I find in our 12-step recovery program. One of them is being able to learn, learn about myself and learn about you guys. Another one is being able to connect and have relationships, healthy relationships with other people on the road to recovery. And a third one, and perhaps the most important, is the opportunity to be of service to others and to extend loving kindness to those um, who uh, are still suffering. So... um, See if there's anything else I want to end on. I think I will um, share two things with you. One are the stages of recovery as I see them. Um, The first stage of, of recovery for me is called unconscious incompetence. It's when I do very poorly with food and I don't even know it. The second stage of my growth and recovery is called conscious incompetence, where I do very poorly with food and I'm aware of it. The third stage of growth I call uh, conscious competence, where I'm doing well with food, but I have to really concentrate on it. And the fourth and final stage of, of growth, if I ever could get there, would be called unconscious competence, where I do so well with food and I don't even have to think about it. It's just a, a no-brainer for me. So there's a story of a little girl. She's about five or six years old. And it was bedtime around eight or nine o'clock at night, and she needed to go to bed. So her mom sent her in to go to sleep and said, Honey, you go on now. And she went in to her bedroom and uh, went to sleep. And about an hour or so later, uh, the mother heard this big thud, you know, a a big noise uh, of, of the little girl hitting the floor. And the mom ran in and said, honey, what happened? And she said, mom, I, I, I stayed where I climbed in. I didn't scoot to the middle. 
And in the same way, I can get into OA like this and just get in. Or I can scoot to the middle. You know, and if I and if I don't scoot to the middle, I'm in danger of falling out of my program. Every day I make dozens, if not hundreds, of choices that move me either closer to the center or lead me on the edge of my own recovery. And so I try to do the things that are necessary. I sponsor men, and I have several men, some of them in this room, who are um, recovering using the same uh, plan of eating that I use. And um, I call my sponsor. I read and write. Um, I reported my food every single day to my sponsor for the first year and a half and called him every day at 6 p.m. for the first year and a half. Um, and my food, my, my log that I sent to him, this is a, a sample of it, you know, what it looks like. It's, it's filled out with all the food, the amount of ounces, all of the tools that I used, my reflections on the bottom and my writing. So it was pretty intensive, you know, to, to, to do this every single day. But this is how I change habits for myself. I'm no longer on any medications. Um, when I came into the program, I could swim 12 laps um, in the pool near my house. And today I can do 100 laps without stopping doing flip turns all the way, which is really cool. That's a gift of the program, right? I'm not consulting a neurosurgeon about back surgery anymore, that's for sure. And um, I know that, you know, I'll tell you how much abstinence I have. I have 11 hours and 20 minutes of abstinence. That's it. And at midnight, it all goes away again, and I have to start over tomorrow. So I don't, I don't count on any past experience. It really doesn't matter. All I have is today. So thanks for letting me share with you. So we have an Ask It basket that went around, and we can answer. Oh, good. We can answer questions if we... Um, Yeah, we can take the, take the questions out, and we can do some question and answer now. Um, does anybody have questions for either Helen or me or both of us? Well, would you like to answer? Oh, no, I, I didn't okay. know if she asked anybody. Either or both. Okay, so my experience with artificial sweeteners, and I've tried them, xylitol and stevia and all these different things, um, I have a problem with it for myself. I'd almost rather have just regular sugar. And the reason is, when I try false sweeteners for myself, it tastes sweet to my tongue. And that sweetness gives my brain a signal that energy is coming in the form of sugar. And then, because it's not sugar, no energy comes. And I get hungry, and I want to eat more. So it actually triggers me in that way. And so I, I, I just stay away from those. And in terms of cravings, do you want to answer a cravings question? Uh, well, oh, how, how well you- about the sugar one, I do, or the artificial, I don't, you know what, I never liked artificial sugar, so I've never used it. So, yeah. And was that your whole question? Okay. Cravings, how do you handle cravings? Well, I don't really get quest at the beginning, sure. Um, I drank a lot of Diet Coke. Um, like I say, you know, it's terrible for you. But you know what? Uh, like in the big book, it tells alcoholics to eat candy when you want to drink. Well, that, it, you know, that's what I did. I'm being honest with you here. And I 
was felt like I was, um, to be honest, too, um, felt like I was, um, there was broken glass. That's what I felt like for about the first nine months that I, uh, of my abstinence and um, not eating sugar and, yeah, but you know what? One day I woke up and it was gone. And um, and it really is just God uh, doing for me what I can't do for myself. Through the grace of God, I don't have cravings today. I could care less that I don't get to eat a piece of cake at a wedding or when everybody around me is eating sugar. So it's just the grace of God, you know, it really is. And for me with... Um Let's see, dealing with cravings, uh, you know, at first with getting off of sugar, it was a lot of white knuckling and drinking water late at night, but, you know, and praying and calling my sponsor regularly and talking to him a lot and telling him, be, using rigorous honesty and, and talking about that. The nice thing about establishing any new habit, and remember, to do so, to do anything that new, it involves some level of suffering, and I am a creature of comfort. I don't want to suffer. But to have something new, like eating in a new way, there's a little bit of suffering that goes along with it. Now, the silver lining on that dark cloud is that the suffering need not be endless due to a process called accommodation. In psychology, we learned about accommodation where our body, when we keep doing something the same way for a little while, our body begins to recognize that new behavior as the new normal. And so then, you know, all, all of a sudden, a strawberry tastes very sweet when you bite into it. Yeah. So, um, wh- now, I just had a quick science follow-up to your discussion about the sweet taste coming in and the liver responding. They did research very recently that said that, that, that it triggers the liver. To, it's waiting for the sugar after you have the sweet taste. And when it doesn't come, it releases cortisol and um, what is the... Uh, Thank you. Healthy fats. Okay. This is. Uh, do you want to answer this one? Because I have no experience for this. Okay. Um, how do you deal with red light foods in the house where your what? When your spouse, spouse, oh, or child eats those and has them there. I live alone, so I can't relate. Well, I, I live alone as well, and I don't. I'm not married, no kids, so I um, have had a lot of sponsees with this trouble because they have a spouse or um, someone else, kids living in the house that are eating red light foods for them, and so it really comes down to a willingness and talking to family about you know the deadly aspects of this disease and where it can lead, and if family's willing. You know, it's nice. I know when my mom recovered from her alcoholism, she married a man who uh, drank, but he found out that she was an alcoholic and he gave up drinking for her. He, you know, just he didn't have booze around the house. So that was a nice thing. And and sometimes people are willing to do it. It will benefit your family if they're eating healthy. Also, it's not, you know, it's it's not uh, like a bad thing that we're doing for our bodies or for. Uh, the bodies of our loved ones by having them eat healthy as well. They may not wish to do that, and it might require that um, somebody have a lock on a certain pantry so that they can't get to that food. The, the overeater themselves might want to put a lock on 
um, and give the key to their spouse, which sounds drastic, but, you know, drastic times call for drastic measures. Um, also clearing out a section of the refrigerator or asking loved ones not to eat my food. This is my abstinent food. Please don't eat that. What not? So that's the best I can do on that one. Um, somebody wanted to know that th- those three questions, so that I write to my sponsor, so that's what is going right, what is the plan for the day, and the third is what keeps me from peace. Okay, do you want me to, do you want to answer that? Oh, you, you go ahead. No, I just, oh, that's, for, okay, can, can you, um, can you say that again? I'm sorry. Because I was reading these oh, that are addressed to me. I said that I read, to my, read okay. to my sponsor every day. What is going right? Mm-hmm. Um, somebody wanted to know what it was. Um, okay, answered you just answered it. it. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. You answered it. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I'll hang around afterwards if people are all be outside or whatnot. People can ask, but no, there's nothing. I just got it from my sponsor. He just calls it the drama free plan, and I and he's given it to his sponsor gave it to him, and then he gave it to me. And I sponsor only men, just like he does, and we've all kind of done it for that. But I've had enough women in the program show interest that I, I've used modified plans with just adjusting the ounces. The food groups are the same; they're the five food groups that I think my body needs as a human being, but adjusting the um, you know the ounces. Yeah, and one other thing regarding volume, and we all know, what is the secret to weight loss? It's in three words, right? Eat less food, <laughs> right? But how? How do we do it, right? So that's that's a tough one. Um, one of the interesting things that medical science has known about for the last 20 years is called uh, metabolic adaptation. Have, are you guys familiar with that? So if I have an imaginary twin brother who is six foot one and 200 pounds, and we're both eating a 2,000 per day calorie diet, uh, and we're both at a healthy weight, and then I gain weight and become obese for six months or a year or whatever it is, and then I lose my weight back down to his same weight. If I eat like he does, the 2,000 calorie a day diet, I'm going to gain my weight again. Medical science doesn't know why metabolic adaptation happens to obese or overweight individuals, but they know it does. And so what that means is, because I've been obese, even though I'm now down to a healthier body weight, I have to eat 20% less food than my imaginary twin brother does in order to just maintain my weight. So if he's on a 2,000 per day calorie diet, I need to be eating 1,600 calories per day. And even with my activity now, I'm so shocked at how little food I eat. I used to eat those 32-ounce cowboy steaks, and what that was just for one meal. Now I'm having 12 ounces of protein all day and still doing my exercise and hiking and yoga and swimming and other stuff that I like to do. So I have one for you, John. Oh, um, give yourself one. Oh, I will. Yes, I will. Um, how do you stick to your meal plan when you are out of town or at a restaurant? Sometimes I don't. I do my best. My plan of eating requires me to eat in a healthy and sensible fashion, but it does not require me to eat perfectly. What I've discovered is that the desire for perfection is actually my disease whispering to me, John, you can't have that extra piece of lettuce. You know, you've got to be perfect because I'm a fallible human being and my body, my, my disease knows that if it demands perfection of me, that I won't be able to sustain it. 
even Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight champion of the world, I mean, he was... He might have had a perfect record at a particular point, but it's not sustainable because we're fallible human beings. Eventually, we get old or we die or somebody beats us or, some, or you know, something comes back. So I like to keep it drama-free, as my sponsor taught me. What, what would your grade be in school if you had 100 questions on a test and you only got 91 of those questions right? You'd get an A. Exactly. So out of 100 meals... If I do 91 of them right and maybe I screw up on a couple of meals or I'm out with friends or I'm still maintaining my abstinence, I'm still going, as long as I don't trigger myself. If I trigger myself or go to a binge, that's trouble. But again, the mark of maturity is not how often I fall off the horse, but rather how quickly I get back on. Because if I have that extra piece of you know, butter lettuce on my salad and then, I, and then sends me on a, a bender out for the next six months or five years, you don't see me in OA anymore... That's too much, too much drama. So I try to, to mitigate that. Helen, let's give you a question. Okay. Um, I have difficulty keeping my commitments regarding my food for the day. How do you do that? Well, um, you know, like I say, it's for me, God doing for me what I can't do for myself. So having a sponsor, because I have had periods where I was without a sponsor for a short period of time, or, or I um, wasn't committing my food every day, and that didn't work for me. I didn't feel good about myself. I just didn't feel right, you know. So I love um, committing my food to my sponsor and doing that writing. And like I say, it's just, you know, just keep coming back. Even if you're having a hard time committing to or sticking to what you're eating, just keep coming back, you know, just keep coming back. Because that's the only thing that I did that I know I did right was I kept coming back, praying, um, and until, you know, the surrender came. And, um, and today I do, um, I'll say I don't really change my food that often today. Once in a while I do, um, but it's not very often. And it's just the, like the grace of God, keep coming back. That's all I can say. All right. I have one for you. Um, I'm confused when I see three meals or did you want to answer that one too? Which one? No, when no, I just no, okay, I'm confused when I see three meals and two snacks as abstinent and as a food plan. Can you please clarify which one is it? I don't know. I'm not clear on even what that means. Do you? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. So the difference between a food plan and abstinence maybe is the question. I'm not sure. I mean, I have, I do, when I started, I had three meals per day. And by the way, the spacing of the meals was important to me. So my sponsor said, pick a two hour time frame. I don't care when it is. I have my breakfast between seven and nine, lunch between 12 and two, and dinner between five and seven, because that works for my schedule. It could be anything, but I give myself a little window. It's not like I have to eat exactly on the dot of a certain thing. That's too stressful and would cause me drama. So we try to stay away from that. And in, um, I, I did have three meals plus two floating snacks, emergency snacks. Keyword, emergency. <laughs> it was just knowing psychologically that I had a safety net if I needed the snacks. When, when I first started you know, my plan of eating, I did use them a few times. But um, I, don't use my, I don't have snacks today. 
that I use. And in terms of the difference between a food plan to me, my food plan is not my abstinence, but having a good food plan helps me to keep my abstinence. And, um, you know, I was so tight with my abstinence when I first came in and had all this like heavy duty stuff written out. My sponsor said, that's high drama, John. Are you sure you want to have all those rules and regulations for yourself? And I was trying to be a good sponsee and I thought I was supposed to do it that way. And I've, I've got, become very relaxed about it today. I figure right now, um, as uh, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. So could I go have a Snickers bar right now? Yes, I could. Would it be profitable? Absolutely not. But am I going to use, I, I remember a hammer is not one of the tools of the program, right, to, to beat myself up with. So um, my abstinence kind of today, and this might sound wacky to some of you, but um, I, I believe that Overeaters Anonymous as a 12-step, spiritual 12-step program of recovery is a good place for me to be, and I'm not turning my back on it, and I'm not running away. And I'm, you know, I'm abstinent. As long as I pretty much believe that and I keep coming back, I, I feel that I'm abstinent. So I don't get real hung up on, well, yeah, but John, what if you ate this or what if you had that? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that just blow everything? No, it wouldn't for me. It does, that's high drama for me. Because, again, remember, I'm a fallible human being. So, of course, I'm prone to, to struggle. Now, there are, there are sponsees I've had who were way too lax and they needed to learn how to tighten up. And I've had... Other sponsees who are way too tight, and they need to learn how to loosen up a little bit. And so it's just as the personality demands when people come in. Okay. Here's one we can both answer. You go first. All right. Do you avoid sauces, barbecue, ketchup, I can't read, teriyaki, spaghetti, etc., in part of your sugar abstinence? No, not necessarily because I've found sauces that are um, – I can make my own sauce for one thing, and i found sauces that have very low sugar. I think it's three, three grams of sugar per serving for uh, kind of like a Stubbs barbecue sauce that's the spicy version. There are others that have a lot more, um, but there are certain things that I'll use for flavoring, spices, and stuff like that, and I'm not real hung up about it. Obviously, if a sauce or anything like that you know, triggered me, it would be – problematic. And if I went out to a restaurant and ordered a big thing of spaghetti or whatever, or had that kind of sauce, they're going to probably load it up with sugar. So that's not, I'm not going to order that plus the pasta I don't need. Yeah, I don't typically eat sauces. Um, and if I buy a sauce, I do read the sugar content. So, and if it's like fifth or lower, so that's something I learned twenty, you know, like Back in 1979, when the first time I came to OA. All right. So, do you have a couple of questions, or I have more questions? So. Sure. Yeah. You want to? Why don't you? you... Wanna... Okay. There are questions at the table too. So, how do you overcome resistance to writing down your food and reporting it to your sponsor? Well, for me, it all goes back to desperation. There's every every. There's nothing I want to do in this. You know, if I, I'm a creature of comfort. I don't, I don't want to do any of it, right? I want to sit down on the couch and eat whatever I want to eat, whenever I want to eat it, however much I want, whether, anybody, whether I have a reason or I don't, right? And that's what I did for 18 years. And that's what sent me to the hospital and what sent me to the doctor and what sent me to the rehab place and what gave me surgeries and what put me on medication and what made me so I could only swim 12 laps without huffing and puffing and all the rest of it. So it just comes back to, to desperation, <clears throat> The problem is I don't always feel desperate, 
But that's okay, because I have the right to ask myself, what would a man who's desperate for recovery be doing today? And I can answer that. Well, he'd probably call his sponsor. He'd probably get to a meeting. He'd probably report his food. He'd probably do this. He'd probably do that. He'd probably put his seatbelt on, right? Because he's afraid of what might happen if he doesn't. He'd probably weigh weigh his food today. He'd probably eat from the five food groups. So whatever that answer is, now I know what I'm supposed to do. Now it's just up to me whether I choose to follow it or not. And again, good recovery is is the result of right actions with food and food behavior. Right actions with food and food behavior is the result of willingness, and willingness is the result of utter desperation. I have to be desperate. Remember the list I read to us of all the diseases that happen with this disease? You guys were saying, stop, stop. You didn't want to hear. I mean, it's horrible. If I, if I stay focused on that, then I'm willing to do just about anything. Okay, here's one. Is it okay to commit food when you don't eat it? How much fruit is too much? So um, I wouldn't, if I committed food and didn't eat it, I tell my sponsor I was changing my food. Um, and then also how much fruit is too much? For me, like, um, I typically weigh and measure my fruit, um, or I'll have one, like one, you know, uh, apple, not a huge apple, but, you know, or one nectarine or that sort of thing when I have a um, fruit. But, like, things like, um, you know, like berries I measure, uh, weigh and measure, and um, those kinds of things. Do you eat the whole six ounces of sugar daily? In what foods or forms do you consume it? Six ounces? What does it say? Six grams? It says six ounces. Okay. Um, well, no. I So I have, um, what did I, oh, it was uh, six, t- six teaspoons, right, for women. And that maybe is what they're after is the six teaspoons, which is 24 grams, or nine teaspoons for me as a man, which is um, 36 grams grams of sugar per day. So I'll eat it typically with my low sugar or low glycemic fruit. So it'll come in the form of apples or oranges or grapefruit or berries. Um, and I also will, I will use banana. Remember one banana has 17 grams of sugar. That's four teaspoons of sugar in one banana. But if you're having a little glop of peanut butter with it or some nuts or something that adds fiber and fat, which slows your metabolism, which is Opposite of what we think we're supposed to do, right? We want to speed our people with fast metabolisms are skinny, but people with a slower when you slow the metabolism, then that regulates the sugar, so it doesn't send you, you know, to the moon. Um, and I also eat more chocolate today than I've ever eaten before OA. I have chocolate every day. Um, <clears throat> I eat. Hmm? So I I I will have um, un, unsweetened uh, Baker's chocolate. And I'll put a scoop of that into my oatmeal with half a banana for sweetness and a glop of peanut butter. Now I have a peanut butter banana chocolate breakfast. It's like dessert. It's so delicious. And it sustains me until lunchtime. So I've learned, you know, that I can make things. If I want pizza, I can have it. I can take whole grain bread that has less than three grams of sugar, make my own healthy abstinent tomato sauce, right? Put that on there, add my veggies, add my, my protein, put some um, low-fat uh, cheese or even regular cheese on it because I'm using so little and bake it in the oven. Now I've got pizza and it's abstinent pizza, right? Or if I want French fries, I can get, you know, um, purple potatoes or um, the orange potatoes. I'll let myself have those. I tend to stay away from white flour, white rice, white potatoes, white pasta, all that. But 
I can cut those, brush them with olive oil, bake them, put a little salt on it, and now I have quote-unquote french fries, right? So pumpkin pie, I can do the same with a whole grain crust and take the sugar out of it, you know, and and maybe um, replace that with, um, you know, a lower glycemic sugar like um, maple syrup or something else. So there are ways that I can work it. As long as I'm not triggering myself, that's the key. Okay, let's see. Did you have any more there? No. Okay. Did you have a final moment of clarity or desperation that made you say to yourself, this is it, this is my bottom, I have to change no matter what? Well, um, in 1997, I was, you know, my life was completely unmanageable. Um, I was 100 pounds overweight, didn't have a job, going through a divorce, um, like I say, completely unmanageable. And, um, you know, when, um, I asked that woman to sponsor me to me, it's just, it was God surrendering me. It really was. Like I say, all I did was I just kept coming back, um, to meetings and that was my part. And I just feel that God surrendered me that day when I asked her and I did what she asked me to do. I didn't argue with her about it. Well, I did argue later about some things, you know, um, when I was going through the steps. But at that moment, um, I did not argue with her. I did exactly what she told me to do. Call me every day at this time. Tell me what you're going to eat and then eat what you told me you're going to eat and start working the steps be of service, go to meetings, talk to newcomers, all that stuff. And um, so as far as a moment of clarity, I can't, I can't say obviously I had a moment of clarity, but um, yeah, I'm, I just got surrendered at that moment uh, to ask this woman and really grateful I did. I'd lost my dad um, the year before and held him in my arms when he died. And I did the same with my mom that year that I joined OA. And so um, I was going through a lot and changes in my life. Um, And I think that what I said earlier is that food anesthetizes me against rational thinking and authentic feeling. And I was kind of blinded, but coming into the rooms and hearing others share and say that they were a compulsive overeater helped me. And I started saying it myself. I said that little thing, it works if we work it and it won't if we don't. I didn't really believe it. I didn't know what that meant, but I was starting to say the little catchphrases that we hear in the rooms. And then when my sponsor talked to me and asked me to, you know, if I wanted to do this thing, and those two questions really stuck with me. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to go to any lengths against your, in your fight against your own deadly disease of compulsive overeating? And, you know, I kind of thank God I had a moment of clarity to say, okay. Okay. How do you handle eating late meals or snacks? Late. Right? Isn't that what I said? Late meals, right? Or snacks. So I don't eat late at night. Um, and I ha- do you have a snack. You mean a snack late at night? Oh, okay. So that answers my... I do have a snack mid-morning, which is a piece of fruit, but that's... 
Yeah, I try not to have a snack at night because they say, you know, a calorie is a calorie is a calorie, and it really isn't because calories, like we talked about before from sugar that are fructose that can be a, a liver toxin, um, are different and, and affect us differently. When we eat late at night, studies show that that, that that calorie is different than a calorie we eat earlier in the day. So it will affect us differently. And so I try to avoid that, and I try to encourage my sponsees to avoid doing that. However, there have been times where I have been hungry and I knew I'm, or even I was in bed. I was already laying in bed and I was tossing and turning so uncomfortable. This was with, you know, getting over my sugar addiction when I was first starting. It doesn't happen today. I don't eat snacks at late at night, but when it did happen, I'd get up and pick something sensible, you know, have two ounces of lean protein perhaps, or a handful of, of almonds or a small piece of cheese or half of a, an apple or something like that, you know, just try to get, get through it. How do you not eat sugar and how do you handle social situations? So uh, for, I'm also an alcoholic, a sober alcoholic, and I don't drink alcohol. And so for me, I'm also a um, you know, compulsive overeater and a sugar addict. And so in that same way, I don't eat um, you know, refined sugar, things like that. Um, process, you know, sugar, sugar. I do eat fruit. Um, how do you say handle social situations? I'm assuming whoever wrote that means when you're somewhere and people are eating sugar and you're not eating sugar. Nobody cares if I'm eating sugar or not. That's my experience. I used to think that too. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was new thinking, well, you mean I'm never going to be able to eat cake at my daughter's wedding, you know? So my daughter got married. I didn't eat cake at her wedding. I could care less. Nobody cared if I'm eating. They don't care what I'm eating. They just care what they're eating. As I'm, and, and I'll tell people, if somebody says, oh, you don't want anything, I tell them, you should be grateful I'm not eating sugar because there wouldn't be any left for you, you know? So I just can't do it because once I start... Uh, and I'm not willing to even take that chance because I could care less about it today. So why attempt to eat something that, you know, could, uh, uh, you know, end my abstinence, you know, so for me. Social situations are hard for me, and it's always a party, right? I want to celebrate with food, and when I'm around family, um, sometimes dysfunction can trigger me to want to eat food. Um, when I'm with friends that are celebrating, I want to eat food. Imagine running through the forest at night. It's dark. There are holes and pitfalls all over the forest, and you're running through there trying to navigate your way, and you fall in a hole. What are you going to do? You get out of it, and you can move on. That's one option. The other option is to get out of the hole, stop for a minute, build a fence around that hole, and then run on. Because next time you encounter either that hole or a similar hole, you'll know how to handle it better. You will have built a fence around it. So mistakes are an opportunity for us to uh, think that all is lost and to say, I tried OA, it didn't work, and to go off into the food land again. Or alternately, if I'm willing to learn, mistakes are are a golden opportunity for me to learn something about where my limitations are. And what, you know, what's going to set me off. And so for, um, I have, I have brought my food scale, which I use to hotels on trips. I've taken it to Hawaii. I brought it into, um, 
you know, family parties and things like that. I haven't brought it into a restaurant as a substitute for that. And I did it this last Mother's Day. My mom's gone, but I was with my sister and her family. And I weighed and measured my food, put it in Tupperware, made it super delicious because I knew there was other food that I was going to be tempted by. And when they came around and took my order, I just said, I'll have water, please. Easy on the check, right? That's the other thing about metabolic adaptation. If I have to eat 20% less food, my grocery bills are going to be low for the rest of my life. But the, the, the um, you know, then when it was time to, I waited for everybody to be plated and served. And when the food came, boom, I reached into my little bag and I pulled out my thing. Nobody noticed. And I had my water and I enjoyed a wonderful meal. And I've done that um, many, many times. So that's a way that I handle social situations. Okay, John. Please repeat what you said about right action leading to good results. Okay, so I believe that ours is a program of good results. That means I achieve and maintain a healthy body weight. Good results are driven by right actions with food and food behaviors. Right actions with food and food behaviors are driven by willingness, and willingness is driven by nothing other than utter desperation. Okay, and let's see. This says both. Um, well, let's see. What happens when life, jobs prevent you from doing your shopping prep or shop prep food routine and you head out the door with no food for the day? That is reality sometimes. It is reality sometimes, and I've faced that brick wall. Um, and I don't like it. So my sponsor and I have decided that I should purchase proteins, vegetables, fruits, and things that can be frozen. So I have those because I prefer fresh. So I like fresh veggies and things like that. But I'll get salmon and lamb and steak and other things. I'll cook it all up. I'll put them in freezer baggies and have them in the freezer. And I have frozen vegetables and frozen fruits that I'll get or will make myself and um, keep those in there. So if I'm at home, that's one option. Leaving the house and I don't have what I need was the other part of the question. What do I do then? Well, there's, like I said earlier, my plan allows me to eat at just about any restaurant. You can almost every restaurant I go to, I can just, even if it's not on the menu, I can say, hey, can you ask the chef to make me like a boneless, skinless chicken breast and some veggies and like triple up on the veggies, please. And and I, I can get by on a meal that way. Yeah, I do the same type of thing where I have, um, uh, I take my food to work typically, and so I keep things in the refrigerator at work too for the week. And also, I can eat in restaurants as well. So if I have if I have nothing, um, I can go and get an abstinent meal. So, um, and John, I can't read this one. This is for you. See if you can read that. <clears throat> I can't really. Um, let's see. When you understand sugar, what did you add? Where do you stand on something? Did anybody? Oh, is that my chicken I don't know if this is. <laughs> Let me try. Oh, okay. So let's see. It says when you introduce. You talked about reintroducing sugar at some point. What did you add? But I think you've explained it. You had a certain number of grams. And so it wasn't processed sugar. It was more like fruits you added or something? No, it was processed sugar. And oh. so, <laughs> yeah. 
and it was so like I like I said I eat chocolate every day and then I told you about the non you know everybody cocoa powder right that's one thing but I also eat there's a company called I think it's called Choco Love or something I found it at Whole Foods Market but they have a 77% dark chocolate that has six grams of sugar per ounce so that's six little pieces and I can eat that for me I can eat it and it doesn't trigger me because it's under my eight grams that will so, set me up. No, typically okay. not. Okay. Typically not. Go back. I'm glad I still get an A if I miss a couple on the thing. Yeah. You know, so, I, I've had I've had an imperfect abstinence for the last three you know three and a half years. So like if a serving of yogurt, frozen yogurt has three grams of sugar, that's fine. For me, it would be that would be fine. But I get plain yogurt. That yeah, and so but um, yeah. Okay, so do you want to answer that, Um, Well, I already answered the sugar part, but um, white flour I don't eat, but I have had bread. I do once in a great, once in a while, Um, but it's usually, you know, not white flour. Um, And if I have rice, I have brown rice, so I just avoid that. What about you? You already shared. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's this? What do you have to say about sponsors that don't require you to call every day or write, just text your food? I, I, I don't know. That's between you and your sponsor. I'm not going to, you know, get involved in what, some, what a sponsor does. If it works for somebody, then that's great. You know, people sponsor all different ways. And um, what about you? I really like what our friend Joe said last night in his talk. If you weren't here, he talked about having ants come into his house. And how would he get rid of the ants? Well, he'd spray and he'd clean up and he'd put ant traps and he'd do a variety of things, maybe four or five different things. He doesn't know which one of those he could undo or take away and still make sure he doesn't have ants. So he does them all. So I would say regarding calling your sponsor texting your sponsor whatever whatever if it works it's working so right we we do we do whatever it takes to keep ourselves away from getting triggered and from you know hopefully achieving and maintaining a healthy body weight medically healthy body weight because it can take us um medical science says it's not like i'm going to die you know if i have all the triple brownie overload i might die you know three days early you know because if that's it i maybe it's worth it (laughs) maybe i'll have maybe i'll have six triple brownie overloads but but it, medical science says we can die as much as, you know, over 20 years early, 23 years early. So if I'm going to live to be 73, I'm going to die at age 50 from obesity potentially, from diabetes and all the diseases that travel with obesity, which is, you know, metabolic syndrome and cancer. And, you know, we've got um, different problems with, uh, you know, our brains and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, dementia. Time? We're almost, it's almost, it's time to basically say our prayer. I okay. Guess. Okay, let's let's stand up and we'll we'll be around afterwards if you have questions.
God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that a victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. 